Everyone, welcome into a special collaboration, a tale of two hygienists and dentistry, dentistry unmasked. unmasked. Yay. <laughs> we didn't practice that enough, apparently, but dentistry unmasked, very happy to be here. Uh, thank you, everyone, for joining us in the audience. Thank you for everyone that's going to be listening into this a little bit later on. Uh, doctors, I'm excited for this one. We're going to talk uh, some real challenges in dentistry today. So dental hygienist, friend or foe? So, I mean, okay. Back when, I mean, every time I've been lecturing, I started lecturing back in 2010. As a former hygienist turned prosthodontist, I've always lectured about the value of your dental hygienist and how important the dental hygienist is for your practice, for your patients. And I feel like a little bit like we're getting, like that's come back to bite us a little bit. I feel like with the staffing shortage and the wage asks and, you know, these different things. I mean, I've always tried so hard to try to minimize that divide between dentists and hygienists, and I feel like it's kind of worse than ever. It, it is. Great. I mean, it's way worse than ever. I think partially the pandemic really screwed a lot of things over for all of us, right? Like it, it pitted the, the hygienist versus the doctor, the shortages that happened, um, a lot of hurt feelings were being had and, and happened. And I think some of it though, rightfully so, right? I think some things were out of the control of the dental hygienist. Some of it was economical demands on the profession and everyone's just frustrated about it, but we all have to kind of like suck it up. But like, I think we, maybe hygienists didn't handle it very well, but also I don't think the doctors handled it very well. So how can we be a foe if no one's handling it very well? Because Pam said so. <laughs> I, I would, so I would agree with you. I think, um, I don't think that the pandemic caused the problem. I think it just threw gas on the fire. Agreed. Yeah, because yeah. for decades, and, and again, I'm going to unplug Pam and I from this because I think we feel differently than many dentists do, but I bet there's a bunch of practices out there for many, many years who didn't do all the things they could have done sure. to set the table for great relationships. And some did a really great job and others didn't do a very good job. And, and I think that's true of life in, in general. Yeah. I don't know. I, right. Well, I mean, if we're going to be unplugging, I want to unplug too, because I've had nothing but great doctors I've worked with. And so, but the thing is, as I think the representative of hygienists here, we do see whether it's like in our one-on-ones, right? Misty right. works for a large company in our one-on-one -on -one conversations with our hygienists, we, oh, yeah. we feel the pressure. And when we're in our society meetings, when we're in uh, you know, social media forums, we still see like the, the, the pressure that we have. Well, and the burnout that's in the industry too, you know, and I think that COVID did accelerate that as far as that burnout. And I think that, you know, we've had this, this whole doctor hygiene, you know, we have to at some point come together and be able to partner, but I do agree that some of the demands of the hygienists have kind of got a little up there, um, but also some of the demands that they're asking for are things that they should have had, you know, like the, you know, respect, you know, to not like, you know, I talk to hygienists often and, you know, they're like their appointments are being shortened or things like that. Cause I, I did get it. We're all trying to also handle the patient load and then also the economics of the practice. Right. And dental insurances have not helped us at all. Um, you know, and probably I think also is adding more fuel to the fire as well. Right. Because reimbursements for, you know, dentists have not gone up for procedures and therefore salaries have, and not only salaries of, hygienists, but also our auxiliary staff. So the whole overall business models have are costing us more than ever before. 
Um, but I think like some of the things that they've asked for is, you know, like to be able to have time to, because we keep putting more and more on them too, right? Like we were saying, you know, we were talking about this earlier about the, the hygienists that we're asking them in an hour's appointment to take blood pressure, take medical history, you know, do a caries risk assessment, you know, probe, like we're giving them, take x-rays, all of that all in one hour. And so, you know, but I think the wage issue is becoming a real problem because I think we're, it, we're not partnering well with our doctors because we are hygienists in general, I've seen that. And it's causing, doctors are looking for a way to fix the problem, right? Legislators are looking for a way to fix the problem. Um, you know, I sit on the Board of Dentistry in Georgia and we're having the same issue that every state is. Um, and it's bringing forth legislation that scares us all and we're all a little nervous about what's going to come. But at the same time, we have to figure out a solution. Can we, and, sorry to cut you off, can we start off like with one of the hot topics and then I like kind of move like, I want to finish with wages. I think wages is like the oh, ultimate gasoline yeah. on this fire, right? Sure. I want to talk what you just said, shortening the appointments. And as, I don't want to, you're not the representative of the doctors, but you kind of are the representative of the doctors. <laughs> yeah. Why, why are we shortening appointments? Like, what is the, the logic behind that when we're asking the hygienist to do more? You want to start? Well, I guess if you're, yeah, if you're asking the hygienist, well, okay, maybe this is short-sighted. You guys can call me out on this if you want to, but <laughs> the practices that want the hygienist to provide caries risk assessment, blood pressure screenings, HbA1c, bacterial testing, are not the practices that are shortening appointments. The practices that I think that are shortening appointments are those that are experiencing a reduced reimbursement from their PPOs or they're, you know, they're getting a financial pressure that squeezing in that extra patient in the morning and that extra one in the afternoon yeah. might help to float the practice. Right. And so while, yeah, it sucks as a hygienist to do that. I understand. I was one. I know that. But um, there's a reason for it. And I think having an open dialogue there would be really important. I think that there's better ways that are better for patients to increase your revenue without shortening that appointment. But I think that that's a conversation that we need to have together. I mean, gosh, I think one of the easiest way to enhance your hygiene revenues, fluoride varnish. Oh, hands like, down. Varnish your patients. If you varnish your patients, I mean, the, to apply fluoride varnish on every patient, I mean, one application is like, on the most expensive varnish out there, one application costs the practice like $2, mm -hmm. if that. And then, you know, that national average for charging for fluoride varnish is somewhere between $35 and $50. So if you need to give your hygienist another couple dollars an hour, or you need to enhance your revenues, there's really easy ways to do it without making it more taxing for your hygienist. But I think that's a conversation that we should have. Well, yeah. that's why I like uh, compensation models that um, really, focus in on patient care, right? So, because oftentimes I think like hygienists don't do fluoride because it's like this additional thing and it should be something that they should be doing. So if you incentivize them to have that conversation, to do that caries risk assessment, to be able to place fluoride in those patients, I think that would help, you know, as well. Um, I, I, this is like, so, because I also do think, you know, I'm also, for the hygienists, but also, I do think that sometimes some of the ask have gotten like crazy. I mean, I've even had people like ask if I could like lease them a car. Wow. <laughs> I've heard that story very well. Interesting. Yeah. That's a story. 
I, I would agree with Pam that I think some of the pressures out there are in PPO-driven practices, Medicaid-driven practices, where the reality is um, today's dollars don't go nearly as far, far. as they used to go. And then I, and you couple that with, you know, I, so I'm 29 years in, and um, my debt load, very different than the debt load of somebody walking out of school today. So part, sure. I mean, this, these are multifactorial problems, right? You take a 26-year-old who walks out of school at a half a million dollars in debt, and that's a $7,500 a month payment without food, rent, keep going. So that's sure. not an excuse, but it is an issue I think we have to contend with. Um, but in an out-of-network practice, I would agree. Like, there's no reason to be shortening appointments in an out-of-network practice today, unless you don't understand how to um, compete sure. in the marketplace. And if that's the case, then it's up to me as a dentist to build a team that understands how to compete. Right. So let me ask this. So um, I like business. I might not be the best at business. My model would be if I'm offering a profi and only getting reimbursed $17, but I have to pay $35 to $50 for a hygienist time, why am, I, why am I doing this lost leader service at all? Why do I have that in my practice? Um, okay, I'll start. <laughs> um, you shouldn't. It's an old model. It doesn't, it's broken. If you're losing 20 bucks, 30 bucks an appointment, that's bad business. So options, um, a hygiene assisted model where all of a sudden you can double down on the production that happens with a well-qualified, well-trained team member who can shoulder a lot of that load and maybe get you back to a better number. Mm -hmm. Or, I mean, we could turn back the clocks of history, right? When, when a GP practice sent lots of people to the periodontist and said, you know what, I'm not doing that, but what I will never do in my practice is compromise care. And what I also will never do in my practice is lose money eight hours a day in yeah. hopes that I can diagnose and treatment plan my way out of it. That just doesn't make good sense. Well, and I say utilize your hygienist to the full capacity. True. Right? Like if you utilize that, which also helps out with, with burnout, right? So if they're, if you allow them, instead of just doing cleanings, maybe they do whitening procedures as well, or maybe, or you said they're doing fluoride on their patients or allow them to do oral cancer screenings in your practice, right? Those are things that are gonna provide more comprehensive care right. to that patient. And they're easy to add into that appointment as well. Like they, those are things you can add in very easily. And that increases the revenue, but also increases the care that you provide to those patients. Could, could we establish, I think, you guys are both very progressive doctors, which we love. What should be the minimum like services that are provided? And Misty does this all day, every day too. What are the minimum services a hygienist should be providing every appointment? I would say every recall appointment, because I know we have you know, paramaintenance and all the other stuff, but. I mean, so, I mean, there's a schedule of things. So obviously like, we tend to alternate perio charting, like full charting, right. like every other appointment, unless they're a perio patient, you know, so right. there's things or whatever, but standard hygiene visit, you're just coming in for hygiene, medical history review, mm -hmm. uh, and including medications and what they're used for. And if they were taken today, see Tom, I'm always listening, Tom Viola. <laughs> um, so we're doing that. And obviously an oral cancer screening is on every single recare patient every single time by the hygienist and by me. Mm -hmm. a spot probing is a minimum, but obviously we're doing a full charting. I right. think it's every other appointment. Um, and then obviously carries risk assessment, perio risk assessment. Right. And then um, we're guided biofilm therapy people. So we go through the eight oh, steps. So obviously air polishing, PAs on, Nice. And um, I come in for an exam when needed. I don't do an exam every three months. I do an exam every six. 
Um, but then, obviously, if there's an issue or something, I'll come in for that. X-rays when needed, mm -hmm. and fluoride varnish when needed, or probiotics, or antimicrobial varnish, or whatever it is that's adjunct. So you're doing all these things, so then... That's a standard, yeah. yes. That's not an upsell right. at all. But when we look at it, just like you said, fluoride, only 30% of uh, we're, are coding out for fluoride, right? Only 25% of dental practices actually do oral cancer screenings, too. So I think if we took on really the more comprehensive piece and, and did all of those things, I think that maybe then there might not be such a wage discrepancy if we did all those things, you know? Now, I do think that sometimes they have gotten a little, you know, you're, some of them are getting out there on their ass. But I do think that before COVID, uh, you know, I graduated school um, 19 years ago um, and COVID would have been like, you know, three years ago, four years ago, however that is now. Um, and wages had not increased from the time I graduated till, you know, like everybody was still making the same amount of money from an hourly perspective for the most part, like coming out of hygiene school. Like what I was told to come out of hygiene school was about the same for a hygienist, you know. Um, now with experience, right, you should get but still, a lot of doctors were kind of like just, it was a standard. And so I think there was a little bit of room for growth, but I think it's kind of like, and the same thing with DAs. I mean, even DAs now are wanting these crazy. See, I didn't experience that. So I remember I was so excited. I graduated hygiene school, same, uh, about um, 25 years ago. And I remember I was making $25 an hour and I was so excited about it. <laughs> My first paycheck, I will never forget. I was walking in downtown crossing in Boston and this homeless guy comes up and he's like, you got any money? And I'm like, yes, I do. <laughs> <laughs> what a great I think story. I gave him like, I don't even know, but I was so excited because um, we were making $25 an hour. So, I mean, cut to 25 years later, I mean, that number's over doubled. So, oh, no, it's, that I is mean, definitely doubled, in my, especially in your area. Yeah, I mean, so <laughs> in my experience, yeah, I mean, hygienist wages have most definitely gone up, absolutely. Yeah. So, I don't know, I feel like, I mean, yes, yeah, and especially in my area, some of the asks are crazy, and some of the metrics that some hygienists are using to tell other hygienists what they should be making are crazy. I think that you know there should be business practices for hygienists and business education for hygienists Acumen. because then maybe your ask would be in line for what it is. And I think understanding the difference between what's billed versus what's collected and how in many practices that's a totally different number, that like you can't make money that doesn't exist. Correct, and that's one of the things I do educate the hygienist on is that business model and to say, you know, before you, like anytime they ask me, hey, should I talk to my doctor about a raise? I always say, look to see what you're actually producing for the practice and what you value and then you should get a percentage of that, right? It should be around a percentage that you would be wanting to look at because the there's real fixed costs that the dentist is going to have, the cost of supplies and all those type things. So you got to look at it from that model and be realistic because sometimes I've had hygienists that literally say, oh, they want this astronomical amount of money or an astronomical raise, that never happens. right? Come on. You know, but sometimes it's like, well, does it really do that? And so then I go back to, are you offering these like comprehensive cares? Are you doing yeah. fluoride for your patients? Because those are things like, and then when you're doing those type things, then I think then that's the time to have those conversations with your doctor because ultimately he or she's going to benefit from you know that and have that conversation to make sure they're on board with you doing those things too right no i i, I agree with that too i personally as a hygienist would like a safety net so i like yeah. i like the safety net model where look i'm maybe not making as much as 
the people that are straight hourly, but I'll never go below it. But I have the potential based on my investment in my patients to make much more. My question, I guess, to you would be, and I understand that this is gonna be a variable number, but what is a realistic expectation for a production number that a hygienist should be attaining? Because I think a lot of them, if, if we're looking at eight patients a day, which is probably not that, but um, you know, a lot of hygienists are like, okay, we have our profi, we have our fluoride, and we have our x-rays, and we're done. Mm -hmm. And that's gonna you know, generate you know, $1,200. I think in today's model at eight patients, probably $1,200 around the, where they should probably be daily as far as production for the practice, um, especially given it to make it profitable for the practice and for the dentist, the business owner, right? Um, that they would have to be somewhere around that. Would you include x-rays into their production model? How, like, what would be like the, well, I think the things that get put into a production model? Well, I'm not one that do that includes x-rays because uh, usually our dental assistants take most of our x-rays, our auxiliary staff. So it's really more of what are more of just hygiene services. Plus x-rays are have to be our diagnostic. So they're really utilized to be able to help, you know, the doctor and the hygienist be able to get treatment mm -hmm. too. Um, but our DEAs traditionally take those, so we don't, I don't compensate on x-rays. But I will say, you know, when I was in private practice, I was compensated on my x-rays. Yeah. I got a percentage of, you know, my total treatment for my patients. Um, and I really valued that because it also made me, I learned the business model too, right? I got to see. And it was also, I got to have that conversation with my doctor kind of monthly on how my department did. And I think that really was huge on my career and my success because he taught me very early that value that I brought. And I never asked for a raise unless I really saw that I could, I, it was there for me to even have, if that kind of makes sense, right? Mm -hmm. um, and I don't know, I, I'm, I definitely think our hygienists are friends because I think that there's lots of things that they bring value to the patients. I mean, a lot of our patients just come in to, to see hygiene, right? Mm -hmm. They're a real driving force for patients, you know? I've seen doctors that have moved to this model where they're moving away from having a hygienist in their practice, and I don't think that's the right model, but I've some of them are, are moving to that model and, you know, and looking for other ways to be able to do that. Um, I just think that they're definitely, hygienists are definitely a friend. Um, I think we have to do more, um, and I've said this for years and years, for dentists and hygienists uh, to really build that bridge of communication. Because ultimately, everybody has the best like uh, intentions, right? Like, I don't think anybody has bad intentions. Um, just like, I imagine they're asking for higher wages because things for them are more expensive. I mean, I think all of us today, I was talking with a friend recently about how for like groceries and everything. So I think that, you know, some of that, but we've got to, we've got to really bridge that gap and start having conversations and help our hygienists. As dentists, I think you have a very, you have a lot of value to show them those numbers and help them educate and show them the PNL and your team. Because, you know, and I think like even, you know, I worked for a dentist and they did like a profit sharing with us. And that was a phenomenal thing to be a part of because we all got to have like take, like all got to see. And it got to the point that like, 
um, when you start revenue, I mean, literally they were like buying the cheapest toilet paper, you know, <laughs> like different things like that, because everybody was invested that we all got a piece of that profit if yeah. we worked together to do that. That makes a lot of sense. Can I play devil's advocate for one second here? Always. Yeah, absolutely. So, okay, one of my favorite contributors, I love you all contributors for dental economics, but one that's just like really special is Dr. Roger Levin. And he puts out a practice survey, a fee survey, a salary survey every year. And according to Roger, and I believe Tanya, Dental Post, uh, everybody is making more money. Oh. Staff, hygienists, office managers, everybody. But guess who's making less money the every dentist. year? The dentist. And why is that okay? It's not. Well, let's talk know? about why are they making not. less. Because they're taking their, their, in, their fees are high. Everything, their expenses are higher, their bottom line is higher everything they're paying out to their team is higher and the way that they're compensating for it's not like they're like well i've got higher expenses so therefore i'm having a better year right. we're having like the same year but all of a sudden our expenses are up mm -hmm. that money has to come from somewhere dentists are actually taking home less money now than they did years prior so let me let me ask this and and i'm not trying to be like antagonistic but i kind of am a little bit so then why aren't you charging more then like if it's if this whole economy is everything else is more expensive, then why aren't dental fees getting higher? Why aren't, why aren't we fighting for better reimbursements? Why aren't we fighting for you guys to still have the same, we have the same, like everyone has the same, we're just up a bracket, all of us together. So, I mean, I guess that's one of the reasons why we all belong at, our, at an event like this, <laughs> right? Because that, that, that comes, we all have to do our share and we all have to be willing to fight the fight, but that is a bigger fight. Yeah. And, there are things that are looming that probably shouldn't stay from this stage, but when dentistry becomes medicine, which is gonna happen. It's gonna happen. It's it gonna to happen. happen. Then that top end number, we have zero control over that number unless we are um, totally out of network and operate almost in a DDS VIP, like the MD VIP model. But when yeah. that happens, and it is happening, within probably the next five years realistically, maybe 10 at the most, um, you're faced with um, a ceiling, and that's the new norm. But is there something we can do to improve? Because we know, like, the, the whole thing with dentistry is we've been so scareful, uh, you're fearful of the the medical model, right? Because of we, those reimbursements. We're, we're like, sure. and we're trying to push that off. So is there a way that we could, like, have those conversations with the dental, with the, uh, dental insurances and create something that maybe is a hybrid or something like does it have to be exactly that um real for my in my humble opinion realistically no okay Listen, then let's be change makers money let's and power talks <laughs> at the end of the day money and power talks that's that's just a life truism now we're going to fight the, now for me personally what am i going to do i'm going to stay out of network charge whatever i want to charge and realize that in any community, um, a, a four dentist practice that has 6,000 patients has more than enough work to do, and we'll build our brand. But if you said that is 10% of practices in the United States of America, and 90% are else, if you're in that 90% and you're listening or watching this right now, mm -hmm. um, you better pick a side. You better get really great at volume, or you better get really great at boutique, because if you live in the middle, you're dead in the water. And I'm sorry to say that, but that is the truth. No, I, I love that a lot. I think we've, we've handled a couple of things. I, I kind of want to get into office culture a little bit. Yeah. Because when we talk about boutique, sure. you talk about retaining staff, you talk about someone who's going to take maybe a couple dollars less, 
but has maybe not profit share, but like a really solid work environment. I would go work for both of you in a heartbeat if I was still practicing. I was gonna say, but, you have an open invite anytime, <laughs> Andrew. Once, once I move to Salem, I'll go work for you. But, but the thing is, I, I, would, I know that one, patient care is the most important, which aligns with my personal philosophies. Absolutely. Two, you're gonna give me the tools I want. How many offices out there do EMS? Like, honestly, I know, not very that's many. That's so cool. I would, I would be happy to learn a new system where our patients are gonna love seeing me. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. I would take less money to live in that kind of an environment. I think a lot of hygienists would, as long as they're still able to pay their bills. Yeah, absolutely. And the fact that you would get to use like cool equipment like that, right? Like a hygienist would be, I, I myself would be more willing to take a job where I had great supplies, good instruments, you know, got to use technology um, versus, you know, a practice that doesn't have that, right? I'd be more apt to. I think so. I think one thing that's really important for practice owners and for hygienists and for even assistants is to identify what your vision is and what your mission is and what your why is. And if your why doesn't align with the practice's why, then you're never gonna fit. It's never gonna work. Mm-hmm. You, won't, you know, There's no amount of money that's going to make you be comfortable in a practice that doesn't align with your value mm-hmm. system. Absolutely. And so I think that we all have to take that time to dig deep and try to discover and share what that is. It's vulnerable, it's hard, it's not easy, but I mean, you're the culture guy. Tell us about, like, I mean, how do you, how do, you do that and make sure that everybody on board is on board? I mean, for me, if you, when, after you read my, my vision and my mission, if you weren't like nodding your head while you were reading it, you probably don't belong here. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's, it's um important for all of us to understand what drives every human behaviorally. Is it money? Do they want to look good in the community? Is it time? Is it trust? Do they want to just be comfortable? Do they want to be healthy and balanced? What, what drives everybody? And then when you have that vision and share that vision with people and you, and, you, I, and you pull that vision into their core values and what drives them, then you can start figuring out if a fit is there. And when it fits there, amazing. And when a fit isn't there, I don't think it's bad at all and, and, and if you look at our, our history, like we've, we've turned over two team members in 29 years. Wow, that's so impressive. So that's yeah. the frame of the story. But with that frame <laughs> of the story, we're very much like our ship's going here. We really want you to come with us. But if you want to go in the other direction, it's okay for us to be friends. It's just not okay for us to work together. Right. Like we don't have to be mad. We could just yeah. move on. Yeah. But when, I, I don't know, and I think as an employee or an employer, like that level of conviction works. And anything less is like, well, let me just go see what I want to do next because they kind of care, but they don't care that much. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I think um, before we end, just for anyone that's in the audience, I want to give you an opportunity to ask the doctor's questions, to, well, us too, I guess, but yeah. really the doctor's questions too. So, but before we get there, let me ask one more question while you guys are, are thinking about it. You know, the whole friend or foe thing, I think overwhelmingly hygienists want to be best friends with their doctors. Mm-hmm. I can't tell you how much I love my doctors. Absolutely. There's obviously some things that we're doing incorrectly. We've established some of those. But thinking along like what you've seen in social media, what you've seen in your conversations with other doctors, what more can hygienists do to be a friend? And by friend, I mean like just a really good employee. <laughs> like. We don't have to really be friends, but not not adversaries. 
I mean, I am friends with my hygienist. I'm yeah, obsessed are. with my hygienist. I love them and I want them to stay with me forever. Um, honestly, I think it's a mutual respect. Mm-hmm. You know, I feel I when I went to hygiene school, we were sort of taught it's us versus them. And like that was like bred into us. Mm-hmm. And um, then all of a sudden I became them and I'm like, but I, I mean, what do you mean? Like, it doesn't have to be that way. And it does not have to be that way. It does way. not have to be that way. But I think it's a, it's a mutual respect. And I think that as a restorative dentist, I couldn't do it without a strong hygiene team. Like, mm-hmm. every, like they're weaseled into everything I do. I mean, I have my hygienist, you know, before I start, a treatment plan they're getting they, I won't start a treatment plan if they're not periodontally healthy mm-hmm. and then throughout their treatment plan before they're prepped before you know while they're in temps before final impressions they're back in with the hygienist even if it's not their six-month recall like no one's on a six-month recall in my office um, <laughs> but it's like you're coming in for an airflow procedure I mean so it's me and my hygienist partnering together to get that patient to the end point and now they're in the hygienist's hands to maintain and there's a mutual level of you know I need you to get my patients healthy but you're looking at my restorations later and you know we both have to raise our game for each other and I think that we can and should yeah and I, and I want to hear what you you guys have to say too for me it's really simple it boils down to we before me I owe you that you, we, all, we all owe each other that. And when we come in with a collaborative we before, that we win together before I win personally, then good things happen. But when you walk in the door with yourself first, and, if, and I walk in that same way, like it's, it's never yeah. gonna click. I'm gonna say it's that mutual respect, but also I think it comes, it's kind of what we were talking about earlier. We had a podcast. Um, like we have to have ADA and ADHA have to come together and I would love to see like this like here at this event there's this is really doctor focus is the same thing at ADHA it's all hygiene focused why couldn't there be a dual together type of meeting that you would have ADA ADHA smile con with ADA and ADHA and start bringing and bridging that gap because we live in this silo worlds and I think in order for us to really grow as clinicians as oral health care providers and to build that respect it really does start with those organizations because they're the ones that you know we're members of and if we could really get those for us to really come together and I really saw like lots of collaboration during COVID and I really wanted that to continue and then now we're all back to okay now I'm doing my thinking that thing and so I really hope that this podcast these conversations that we're having people begin to think through that because we've got to eliminate that divide because we can't function without you and you can't function without us, True. right? And our and our patients need us all. And it's and instead of us doing these silo things, I think it's time that we all come together and I think that will really change and it's going to start with all of us making those those changes. I think for me, I mean Obviously, everything people have said already, but it, it's for me, it's a scope of practice thing. And just I think it's because I come from where I come from with what I was doing restorative and all that. I don't want to be limited when I had and I've told this on a tale to Agents podcast before. But when I moved to Florida and I got my local anesthesia, you guys know I've been doing local anesthesia for, you know, more than a decade before then hundreds of thousands of injections for all sorts of restorative and, and surgery procedures. And then to have a, a new grad doctor 
say, you're not allowed to do that, that, that really frustrated me. I'm like, I'm licensed to do this, and no offense, but I have way more experience than you do. I love your patient just as much as you love your patient. I wanna be able to provide a service for that patient during our hygiene part. It wasn't even during, like, I wasn't trying to anesthetize for restorative. That, I think, is what I would want as a hygienist to just give me as much ability to still work under the supervision, but give me more that I'm allowed to do. Give me the EMS, which you don't have to have. I don't think there's, like, legislation on EMS, but there's legislation on, you know, when can we do scaling room planning, who's in the office, local anesthesia, uh, temporary restoratives, and things like that. Whatever it is in my state, help me get there so I can better serve our collective patient, right? I mean, that's ultimately, I think, what we want. I love it. Yeah. And that's showing me respect. Like, yeah, that's that is trust. respect. Totally. That's trust. Like, that's what that. we do want. Nobody wants to have their, I mean, individual practice. I just want to be able to practice to, like, everybody else around the country. Yeah. And that has, and, you know, that was a big thing, too. Um, I've noticed, uh, you know, for, we have a shortage of hygienists in our state. And we just passed local anesthesia. And it's intriguing that there's more and more hygienists now, like wanting to be licensed by credentials and are mm -hmm. wanting to come in because they were working in other states that they could do that. And they would never even come into Georgia because of that. Just like you were offended yeah. by it, um, you know, going to Florida. And so we want to be able to practice to our full. We want to be able to partner with our doctors. We want to be able to, um, you know, bridge that gap. Um, because I do think that that whole like dentist, what you talked about, like you were taught in hygiene school, I, that was definitely there when we went to hygiene school. Yeah. Um, I hope now that it's not continuing to be taught because it's not how it should be. And unfortunately that generation, that it negatively impacted our profession and it's time. And I'm really excited for the youth because I don't think they see it that way. And I see like, you know, now working on a board with younger doctors that see see it differently. They're actually like practicing in dental school with the hygienist more one-on-one. -on -one. Yeah. So I hope we'll see that change. But like I said, it really does start with us because now we're the leaders in this field, in this industry. And so it really does begin with us. Sure. Um, not to put anyone on the spot, like there doesn't have to be any questions. So I want to put that as a caveat. Are there any questions from anybody in the audience before we, we wrap this up? As I would uh, introduce myself in my state, I am the Kristalecki. So anyways, thank you for your time and the information and your... From what uh, state? Washington, Washington State. Yes, yeah, thank it's you. Yeah, your state. Is that your state? Oh, yeah. Oh, okay. Originally. Originally. Sorry. So you already win, whatever it is. Okay. So <laughs> demographics in Washington State, uh, the FQHCs, which has dramatically expanded since Obamacare, um, cannot employ hygienists because of salaries. Their salary level is about 50% of what a, currently a hygienist can make in the state of Washington. So you have a population which is in most need of hygiene services. Right. Second demographic, in our state we have over a million individuals either on Medicaid or seniors that don't have access to care because of the financial issues. Um, before COVID, we had a shortage, workforce shortage, particularly in hygiene, uh, and now both hygiene and dental hygiene. Should we be dramatically increasing the number or the class sizes of hygiene programs in our oh. country? By the way, I did not see that twist coming. That's a great question. Yeah. 
I'll go for it. I'll answer that. I think we do need to. Now, the U.S. News and World Report in 2016 put out a uh, news article that actually talked about that hygienists were going to be in, uh, that we're going to have a shortage come 2022, uh, that we would have had a 8% shortage. Then we also then lost um, hygienists because of COVID. So that intensified that. So I definitely think we need to incentivize more people to go to hygiene school. Um, COVID also and all the reports about, you know, dentistry and hygiene being like the, you know, the most scariest, uh, you know, position and um, really did impact because a lot of people are not entering into hygiene school. We're not having the same numbers go into hygiene school as we did. So I think that there were ways to promote that to be able to incentivize them to go in and incentivize them to go work in safety net settings too. I think we need to do that both for doctors and hygienists in safety net settings um, to incentivize them, you know, with loan forgiveness, you know, things like that. Um, that, would, that would be really helpful. I do definitely think that we need to somehow see an increase in hygienists entering school and that some way we, there, somehow in some way, we need to incentivize them and also incentivize them to go work in safety net settings like in Washington where it's hard for you. Is there a way that, you know, um, like a retirement, you know, um, to have a retirement plan, which they're not going to get in like a private practice setting, right? Where they would have um, like a pension plan, right? Like pensions of my, or in my generation, we don't have them anymore, right? Like they that, we're not going to have them, but, but I'm saying like to have something like that, that might encourage them to do that. Like my mom worked for the state and when I grew up and the, one of the reasons why is because she had this phenomenal benefits and pension plan. Um, she never made a lot of money, but now she's retired and she's, you know, gets to live a pretty comfortable life. So some way to incentivize them. But absolutely, I do think we should yeah, answer your question. And in fact, in our state, every hygiene program has a waiting list. So there's not, well, there's there's also, not an issue of individuals wanting to go. It's um, also educators. I there's agree. a shortage of educators. Well, well I think the other thing in Washington. Is, uh, so. I would like to answer the question just yeah, because I have like an alternative view on that because what you were all talking about is yes, it would be great to have more hygienists out in the force. That's not gonna reduce the demand of wage. You're still gonna have, even, I mean, the way market forces work, we're not gonna go back, you know, I think uh, probably the Seattle area is like this 60 to 80 marks per hour, Ooh. right? Even higher than that, right? Wow, and it depends on if you're doing restorative services and whatever. If you're on, you know, Yakima, Spokane, like on the east side, it's a little bit different, but they're still gonna be making 50 to probably $70 an hour now compared to what they were before. So you're not going to see a, a return from the $50 an hour to the $35 an hour, no matter how many hygienists you put in the pipeline. That's not going to work. And so what I would love, like this is like a magic fantasy world that'll never happen, but I would like to see a model of dentistry that I think they have maybe in the UK or somewhere where it's essentially uh, you know train tracks and you can jump off the, those train tracks at whatever level you feel comfortable with. So if you're saying, look, I want to be an assistant. I'm going to get on this this one track that we all start on, but I'm going to jump off at dental assisting. Or I'm going to, we have EFTAs in Washington. I'm going to jump off at EFTA. I'm going to jump off at whatever between EFTA and hygienist, but not doing the restorative functions would be like doing the the, the you know perio procedures and things like that. That could be employed by the FQHCs, and then we have what our hygienists are, which is like a hybrid model, et cetera, et cetera. I, I would love to see like something like that because those next people below, as far as the scope of practice, could not demand the wage of what a hygienist does, but it also gives someone who doesn't want to go through 
the essentially four years of very rigorous education that we have to go through in Washington and most states that uh, they don't have to do all of that. They could do it maybe in two and a half or three years. But I mean, again, this is kumbaya, like this is never gonna happen, but well, that, I think that would satisfy no, what we're looking I for. I appreciate your, you know, your comments on that because one of the things we have found that we have a little diversity in the hygiene workforce in our state and we have an extremely increasingly diverse population. Yeah. So when you talk about taking a medical history, well, you may not speak Somali, but maybe the assistant can speak Somali. Mm -hmm. So how do we, I agree with you, how yeah. do we build that train track so, and for, or potentially even allow individuals coming from diverse backgrounds where English is a second language, yeah. how can they get into a hygiene program? So I love that I, you, you know, think that's about a great that. concept. Yeah, I love Thank that. you about that. Thanks again for being here. Great, yeah, so uh, great to have you and bring up the yeah. topic. All right, thank you very much. Thank you. No, I think another thing that we're starting to see and um, is I know there's legislation in Massachusetts that's been put out about allowing foreign trained dentists to come mm -hmm. in and get a hygiene license really without any board exam or without anything. And I mean, we're going to see you know, that change at some point, you know, if that, if legislation like that takes place. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think our, I think our time is passed. Yes. If anyone wants to, you know, talk to us, of course, we're here podcasting all day long. Yeah, we appreciate you being here. It's been great to be a guest of A Tale of Two Hygienists. Well, thanks for having us a guest as Dennis Van Mast. Yeah. I know, yeah. right? So, so yeah. we just wanted to thank you guys and give you guys a, some air tags. Oh, oh that's wow. so nice. Thank Love you, I definitely Dr. need these for my keys. <laughs> Excellent. Been a great. Thank you very much. Yeah, thank you, everybody. Thank you. Thank you, everyone, for watching or listening to the show this week. And thanks to our guests and sponsors on this episode. Please check out our social media at Dr. Pamela underscore Maragliano and at Dental Economics Official. Or you can check me out at Ignite DDS or at Dr. David Rice. And go to dentaleconomics.com to receive dental economics. You can choose to receive DE in print or digitally, and you can also get the details of our Principles of Practice Management Conference on our website. If you have topics or guests or anything you'd like to talk about on the show, send us an email to dentistryunmaskedpodcast at gmail.com, and we will do our very best to make it happen. Thanks again, and we'll see you next week.